You are listening to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, make sure you're following us on all social media at lunchpailguys underscore. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the 199th edition of the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. This is Jared podcasting alongside Lucas, Aiden, and Wyatt. Um, no Bart this week, but we will bring some energy to make up for it. Um, first, we're gonna we're gonna get right into it. We're gonna talk about our beloved Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team. A lot has happened. Not why it's beloved Notre Dame team, but the rest of us <laughs> beloved Fighting Irish. Team. Whatever the opposite of like, beloved is, yeah. like for yourself, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, Notre Dame football was very active this off season. Let me go through the timeline here. I kind of wrote it down just a little bit. First thing, first big thing that happened, we dismissed our wide receiver coach, Chancey Stuckey, on November 28th. Right after that, five pass catchers entered the transfer portal by December 1st, so not even three days later. Called a mass exodus by some. Uh, everyone was going crazy and panicking. Chris Tyree, Tobias Merriweather, Braylon James, Rico Flores, and Holden uh, Stays, I think is his last name, mm-hmm. all left. We quickly then hired Mike Brown from Wisconsin to be the next wide receiver coach on December 10th. Then we got our transfer portal hall, which I'll list that too. Wide receiver Chris Mitchell from FIU. Wide receiver Bo Collins from Clemson. Cornerback Jordan Clark from ASU. Quarterback Riley Leonard from Duke. Uh, defensive end RJ Oban from Duke. And our, our kicker Mitch Jeter from, I did not write down his school, I think South Carolina. Um, I think it was South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's right, yeah. So that, that alone would just be like a very active offseason. But then on December 18th, two days before early signing period, reports emerged that our offensive coordinator, Jared Parker, just got hired as the next, coach to, uh, next head coach of Troy. Good for him and also good for us because I know a lot of people were not necessarily fans of Jared Parker. We hired a new strength coach in between the early signing period. Um, and then, of course, to cap it off for the time being, Notre Dame hired Mike Denbrock from LSU, who just obviously coached Jaden Daniels to the Heisman Trophy and the number one offense. Uh, Mike Denbrock is going to be our next offensive coordinator. Um, so all of that, take it in, listeners, just so you have the, some background now. Aiden, what do you think? What's your assessment of Notre Dame's offseason? I mean, overall, good. Like it's it's hard not to be optimistic about it. Um, the wide receiver exodus that you mentioned, I feel like it was blown out of proportion at the time. You know, our wide receivers were unproductive. Like, that was a large part of the problem this year. I'm not saying that the, all the guys who left were part of the problem because a bunch of them were developing, you know, young wide receivers. So, you know, it's it's a little bit sad to see a guy like Rico Flores go or, or someone like that. Um, but overall, it was a problem position, I think, Firing Chancey Stuckey was the right move. I'm not sure how I feel about the, you know, the um, Brown who they hired. It's not like Wisconsin had a incredible wide receiving core last year. <laughs> I think it was more so like a, a Cincinnati connection, right? So, um, you know, we'll see how that works out. Um, but obviously going out after that and grabbing two of the top transfer wide receivers is, is huge for Notre Dame. You have two guys who you know you can plug in and will be productive, one would think, immediately. Um, they also landed, I think, in, re- in recruiting their best wide receiver recruit since Michael Floyd, right? Not that, again, he'll be productive this upcoming season, but it seems like they're 
they saw that this was an area of need, right? Uh, and really invested in it. So, so you do like to see that. Riley Leonard, I think, is a great get. One of the best QBs on the market. I don't think anyone had faith in the quarterbacks that we had. Again, they haven't really had a chance to prove themselves, but it seems like we do need another kind of transitional QB until we get CJ Carr in or, or someone else. Uh, and, and Riley Leonard, as long as he stays healthy, seems very talented. I, I think the him paired with Mike Denbrock seems like potentially a good combination. You know, the loss of Gerard Parker, as you, uh, as you mentioned, Jared was by Notre Dame fans, I think kind of celebrated. I feel like <laughs> Troy is, Troy is not a bad team. They were 11 and two this year. You know, they're obviously mm-hmm. farther down in, uh, in college football. They're not a, a power five or anything like that, but they're, I feel like a pretty solid team. And I feel like they could have found somebody better than, a coach that no fans have seemed to like at any stop along the road. Like I know West Virginia fans were, were also kind of going in and being like, <laughs> wow, like, <laughs> I don't know why they did this. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but anyway, you know, good luck to him. Uh, but I feel yeah. like it was nice to be able to get a redo after last year's mishap with the, with the offensive coordinator. And there's no one you could have hoped for more than Mike Denbrock, at least realistically, right? I, I didn't even think he was a realistic option uh, yeah. going into that, the offensive coordinator search. There's there's obviously the the Brian Kelly kind of, you know, um, stab in the back that, that we like to see. But LSU had the number <laughs> one offense this year, right? They had, they had a vaguely, and Denbrock walks into a vaguely similar situation. I'm not saying that we have the same amount of talent that LSU had. Um, but you have a talented transfer quarterback who has a strong arm, can make plays with his legs. Riley Leonard may not be Jaden Daniels, but uh, it, it feels like Denbrock could potentially work this situation or is, you know, has at least some familiarity with creating a, an explosive offense out of this. Um, so, so I feel like there's a lot to be optimistic with there. And in terms of guys leaving, we obviously have, you know, Joe Alt or, you know, Blake Fisher, you know, um, guys leaving, but a bunch are staying that I think people were worried about leaving like Howard Cross or, or Jack Kaiser, Riley Mills, Xavier Watts might be staying still unclear, I think as of this yeah. moment. Uh, but it does seem like more guys than I expected are going to be returning on the, on the defensive side. So it's, I feel like it's, it's looked good so far in terms of an off season for Notre Dame. And I have, you know, maybe maybe this is foolish optimism as it typically is with Notre Dame, uh, but it, it feels like we're making the right moves at least. Do you want to know who moves the needle for me? Not at all. Mm-hmm. Riley Leonard. I'm just not a Ooh. fan of that move at all. I know that he's coming as, like, one of the, you know, more hyped transfer options. He's got all the, like, intangibles he can throw, he can run. But, I mean, if you look at his in-game performance this season, and I realize it's filtered through the lens of playing for Duke and playing for you know, in the ACC and all that. But, so he played in seven games this year before he got hurt. He had three touchdown passes Mm -hmm. over that entire time and four rushing touchdowns, which that level of production might be okay at the NFL level. I wouldn't even say that, but seven touchdowns for your quarterback across seven games is not sustainable in college. Yes, there's like extenuating factors playing for Duke the rest of the offense, but even in the biggest games, his passing really came up short. So the last three games he played were the only three... I guess Clemson was technically ranked when they played them, but Clemson didn't turn out to be really any good. So the last three games he played were against Notre Dame, uh, Florida State, and Louisville, in which he threw 12 for 27 with a touchdown and an interception, 
Against FSU, he was 7 for 16 with an interception. And against Louisville, he was 9 for 23 with an interception. I know it's like cherry-picking like the most difficult games, but in all three of the most difficult games, probably against the three most athletic best defenses he saw, he came up short. It just... I know that, like, I, th- I think a lot of the other moves are good. I think Denbrock's great. But that being said, Leonard just isn't somebody who really moves the needle for me at all in any way. He, his stats don't sort of measure up to snuff. If, even if you look at last year, like, his only really good games were against bad teams, against UConn, against Northwestern, against Lafayette. I think that he's just going to be a worse version of Sam Hartman in a lot of ways. And Sam Hartman, I think, kind of underwhelmed last year. I think he's a guy who's, like, pretty good in an ACC program, but I mean, if you look at Leonard versus you looking at Sam Hartman, Hartman was way better at Wake Forest than Leonard ever was at Duke. I think he's somebody who's, like, riding on having, like, the intangibles, but at least in this past year, did not show really any sort of, you know, any reason for me, I guess, to think that he is gonna be wildly successful at Notre Dame. And I think that in order to be successful at Notre Dame, and we've talked about this over and over on the podcast, there needs to be an elite quarterback. There needs to be a, a Justin Fields, a Bryce Young, a Trevor Lawrence, someone like that. And Leonard isn't anywhere close to that. So, well, like, I think things are moving in the right direction. I like a lot of the transfers. I think Denbrock's obviously better than Parker. I don't think Notre Dame's ever going to win without an elite quarterback. Um when they don't have, like, huge talent around it. Obviously, you, like, saw last year with Georgia, or last two years with Georgia with Stetson Bennett. They were able to win because they had so much talent around them. But Notre Dame doesn't have that. In order to win, they need an elite quarterback, and Leonard, to me, isn't isn't anywhere close to that. I know. I feel like this year, for his tough games, he was injured in the Notre Dame game. All the tough yeah. games came after that. He had a bad ankle during it. His stats this yeah. year, for sure, don't look good. I agree with that. His stats mm-hmm. last year, though, I think do look really good. And I think game by game, they're fine. I just don't think they didn't really played anyone good. Yeah. Which is totally a fair point. Um, but if you look at their schedule, he was pretty much good against most of the teams that they played, even in the games where he didn't pass well. Like UNC, one touchdown, one mm-hmm. interception, rushed for 130 yards. You know, like, he was fine mm-hmm. in the Miami game. He was fine in, I don't know who else they, there's no one else really that good. So you can totally make the, you know, strength of schedule but I know like Duke fans really loved him, and he was talked about as a third round pick coming out of last year. This year, yeah, you know, I mean, I would take that as another like as, as, instead of Steve Angeli or someone else that yeah. we have. Like, yeah, I know it's not like yeah. Sam Hartman's gonna be a you know, he's gonna be like a fifth round pick or something. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess there are other options. Like, is there someone else you would have gone for in the portal? No, and that's, and that's like the issue is that like. I think he's probably one of the better options Notre Dame could have gotten, but I don't think it is going to make, like, I don't think it's, like, a home run get. I don't think it's going to push that Notre Dame any closer to contending for a national title. I think it's, you've basically taken a slight down, downgrade of Sam Hartman, like, who's a slightly better runner but a slightly worse passer. I'd even say a significantly worse passer. Like, he's a slightly better runner and a worse passer. Because Hartman, if you look back at his Wake Forest stats, was actually, like, not a terrible runner, at least his mm-hmm. junior year. Um... I don't know. He just seems like he comes from a similar type school, similar type program, similar type hype, but just like kind of worse overall around stats. So is it the best option out there? Yeah, especially as Carr transitions in, but I just don't think it really pushes Notre Dame any closer to contention as opposed to last year. Maybe. I I would still, I think that could be right, but I also would still be optimistic for future years because my takeaway is that 
I think this offseason showed that Notre Dame's operating in a way that it is not that it didn't used to operate in. So when like Brian Kelly left for LSU, the whole narrative was that college football has changed so much that Notre Dame is no longer a destination job. It's a stepping stone job to something better. I think this offseason, in my opinion, is showing that's not true at all, and that was a Brian Kelly issue. And forget the fact that we're recruiting at the same level as LSU, so it's not like Brian Kelly is getting magnificently better recruiting classes than us. And, and some, depending on who you ask, we're, we're recruiting better than LSU is still. Um, but let's look at a few other things. Like My takeaway from the Mike Denbrock offensive coordinator search is that he t- he also turned down a raise from Texas A&M. We know how deep their pockets yeah. are. So that either means that he chose Notre Dame because like it's Notre Dame in air quotes and like the brand and everything, which he's from Michigan, so that could be part of it. Or also I've, there's also reports that Notre Dame like shelled out money to get him, which I feel like is showing a different attitude that the old administrations like used to not be able to do and that Freeman is making some sort of inroads mm-hmm. on that. I think the other thing too, like not only are we active in the transfer portal, but we're clearly doing enough advanced scouting to the point where when somebody declares for the portal, like every crystal ball projection is like he's going to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Like even before he committed to the portal, like Riley Leonard, as soon as the season ended, everybody was like Notre Dame's top target or whatever, and then we made it happen. Sam Hartman last year, the same thing. Before he even entered the transfer portal, everybody was like, yeah, he's going to Notre Dame. Um and I think that shows like some sophistication and like adaptability with how, with what's going on with the transfer portal that they know like players they they do player scouting really well. They understand like who they can get, let's say from an admission standpoint. And um I think they're like adapting in a way that is really encouraging that we're not going to get like left behind by the new uh the new way that college football works. Another thing, too, to, like, drive home the thing that, like, Notre Dame's not, like, a stepping stone place, it's a destination, is that despite, like, losing our offensive coordinator literally two days before early signing period, we had no D commitments. So whatever Marcus Freeman is pitching to these players, they're either coming for him or they're coming for Notre Dame, which he says he's pitching more to school rather than come play for me sort of thing. And um, a couple interviews he's given I found really interesting on his pitch to players, but also specifically like transfer portal players is he says, like, think about the NFL. They're not trying to pay a guy for 10 years. They will only, they want to sign you to a three or four year contract. And if the next guy is a rookie can do the same thing you're doing, they're going to go with the rookie who's cheaper. So his, his, um, whole pitch is maximize your value while you're in college, get the guaranteed money from your first contract. And then hopefully you get your second and third NFL contract, but there's really like not, too many places better than Notre Dame right now with, like, you're guaranteed to be on NBC every home game except for that one Peacock game. Like, you're going to get exposure for the NFL draft people. I think that's a really smart pitch and a really good way to, uh, again, make sure we're not getting, like, left behind by the way um, Mm -hmm. college football works. Like, I think we're adapting really nicely to the changing landscape of football. We're really active in NIL, too, apparently, with um, fund like, friends of the University of Notre Dame. I'm not exactly sure how it works, but that's, like, our NIL collective. And apparently we're very active in that. And the the flip side, though, is that these factors, I think, are kind of neutralizing the whole, like, you can't win at Notre Dame or, like, oh, it's a unique place with limitations or whatever. I kind of feel like we're getting around that enough where we can be like, we don't need that. We can't use that excuse anymore. Like, we should be good enough to do it, I think. That's my takeaway. 
Yeah, we say that every year to some extent. Like, this but this is, is very different. Though. Like, I this is know. very different. The way the offensive you coordinator yeah. search went, like we got our guy in like three days. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and like I agree with it. It was, nil, we're paying we're paying people nil money, or we're getting them their deals. Mm-hmm. Like we we get our transfer portals. Like whoever we want to get, we're getting immediately. I think that's very encouraging. Yeah, yeah that's fair. I'll, it's just like for me, like a more I'll see it when I believe it type thing. Like I feel like yeah. over the past. Mm-hmm decade and a half there's been numerous times where it's like i mean to the same extent where it's like with texas like notre dame's back like they're doing this they're doing that like they can compete now they have like the talent like i think i don't know when like kelly came and they like in their third year made the championship it's like oh they're doing what they need to do they're with the modern game like stuff like that and then it just kind of petered out and they were 10 and 2 every year and which is good way better than like you know 2003 or whatever but i don't know i just for me it's to see it while i believe it it's like if our big marquee guys are Riley Leonard, that doesn't even, to me, really seem to move the needle. Like, he's a average quarterback. Average to above average quarterback, I think. Like, to me, it's it just doesn't move the needle that much to get a guy like that. Um, I don't know. It just... The, the moves aren't splashy enough. The moves aren't big enough. Like... They don't need to be splashy, though. Stetson, Bennett, we, Stetson like, Bennett was... What, what can we do? I feel like Ohio yeah. State... We're fighting with Ohio State for Riley Leonard. Like, yeah. Like, I just I, don't... I understand. I don't know. I feel like it's at least symbolically we're trying yeah. to do the most here, which is maybe... I feel like it's worth something from Notre Dame. It feels like Brian Kelly's era was just like... It felt just inevitable that we were going to be stuck where yeah. we were, which was that 10-2 space. And here it feels like the the floor might be lower potentially, but at least like there feels like some degree of them trying to do things that will raise the ceiling, and so yeah. that's worth something. But I guess for me it's just like yeah, and I agree with that. Um, it's just like Riley Leonard to me doesn't feel like generational, and I feel like Notre Dame needs like generational. No, he's not. Gener- yeah. Notre Dame needs generational talent at quarterback to win because despite all the NIL stuff, despite the modernization, mm-hmm. despite all that. They're not recruiting at the level of Alabama, of Florida State, of like all those like the Southern schools that can sell everything that comes with those schools, right? And so, in order to compete, they need generational quarterback talent. Like I think you even see something without, like Clemson. Clemson never recruited like top three, top four during their whole run in the late mm-hmm. 2010s with Dabo. But what they did is they had generational quarterback talent in both of their runs. Deshaun Watson, obviously, hate him now, but. In college, generational quarterback talent, um, and Trevor Lawrence, uh, generational quarterback talent. The second that went away, they couldn't compete anymore. And I think, like you look at their recruiting versus Notre Dame, it's like relatively equivalent. The access to those programs of like the type of recruits you get, kind of a similar profile. But with Clemson, they get lucked out. They had two generational quarterbacks back to back. Notre Dame doesn't have that. So until they get that, for me, it doesn't really feel like it makes a difference or matters. Riley Leonard, good college quarterback. Oh, I'll take back the average. He's a good to good to top 20 college quarterback. He's not a generational talent. And because of the level of recruiting that Notre Dame gets elsewhere, I think they need a generational quarterback to win. And he's just not that. So I guess that's sort of that's where my apathy on this whole situation comes from. Okay, here's, my, here's what I would say to you, though. What if Michigan wins the title this year? Michigan does not recruit anywhere near the rest of those top three, and they don't have a generational quarterback. Mm-hmm. What if they win the title this year? They have a better coach. I don't know. I love Marcus Freeman to death, but I think like Harbaugh is Harbaugh to some extent. Like he's a he's a proven great coach. 
Okay. Like, that'll make the difference. Yeah, Freeman has a time, though. Like, Harbaugh's in his, what, like, ninth? Is he in his, like, ninth or yeah, tenth exactly. season in Michigan? Like, I, and he was I, losing to Ohio State, like, six years in a row. That's why it likes to point out. You know, yeah, that's so, what I'm saying. Like, like I, li- I like Freeman <laughs> a lot, and I think he could grow into the role. But at this point in his third year or whatever, he's just not at the level of coach that Harbaugh is. He's a much more likable figure than Harbaugh. <laughs> I, I, I'm rooting for him. Most are. Like, yeah. <laughs> most. But I think he's, I mean, like, obviously, I, Harbaugh coached in the NFL. He did all that, like. This yeah. is Freeman's first head coaching gig. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's the difference maker for me. Like, you need some some sort of generational talent, whether it be the coach, whether it be the quarterback, something, like, in a marquee position. And Notre Dame, or mar- or, or skill players. Like, Georgia last year, I don't know, Kirby Smart's a good coach, but they had <laughs> such elite skill players everywhere yeah. that it was fine. They could paper over. Well, uh, who recruited them, though? Stetson Bennett and quarterback. Kirby recruited them, so. Yeah. 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 Okay. Or his assistants. But yeah. 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 Or his assistants. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so I'm true, saying you but... need to you, you need to have like general <laughs> in order to win a college football you need to have like generational level talent at one of the following three coach, quarterback, everything else. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, and one of those three will give you a shot. Notre Dame doesn't have any of those right now, and so for yeah. me, until they get one of those three, they're not gonna really compete. They'll be good again next year. The schedule's pretty weak next year. They'll they should make yeah. the twelve team playoff next year. But yeah. Beyond that, I'm not sure. Lucas, who are your um, generational head coaches? Saban. Saban. Yeah. Um, let me Google. Dabo probably. Yeah, I think that's fair. Kirby. Um, I say Kirby say? is probably borderline. Yeah. Borderline? Yeah, wow, that's harsh. Kirby is Kirby's. Are, yeah. He's up there. I don't know why I, I don't view Kirby as, like, you know... I don't either. <laughs> yeah, but he just... I yeah. know his, his resume is certainly good enough for it, so I feel like Yeah, to me it's Saban, Dabo, and Harbaugh, mm-hmm. and then maybe Kirby, or, like, the four. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Not I would definitely put Kirby up there. Mac I'd Brown. Put, I would put Sark, I'd put Sark up there, too, personally, at Texas, but... Yeah, I feel like mm-hmm. Sark hasn't... I know it's still just been kind of one year as a head coach, right? That he's yeah. I've been so trying though since for I'm like twenty so years to be back, and he finally did it. That's, or no, yeah, like no, that is true. Ready. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm more sold on Kalen DeBoer. That man has not lost like yeah. Kalen DeBoer is very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's not he, like UW is recruiting at the level that even Oregon is. Yeah, or like anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I don't, and like Penix is a great quarterback, but he's not yep. generational, right? Mm-hmm. I think like if you give you'd have one of the three there it's DeBoer as a coach like he has been everywhere he's been just mm-hmm. a winner so no it's fair I think it's fair to be I'll say it when I believe it but I'm these are changes I think we haven't seen though before um is what I would say yep it's possible also, we'll still fail with these yeah. changes but at least it, feel, it feels like this whole season a lot of times I was like what like we could have made changes in the off season that would have prevented this, and at least they're preempting that. Yeah. So it's, yeah, we're doing. It's it definitely better. Like it's definitely getting better. But to me, it's like I worked my way to this thesis throughout discussing this. They need a generational one of those three <laughs> things, and the they thesis. and they don't have it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Glad we helped you come to this thesis. <laughs> in high school, we had to write these things called like Montaine style essays. Where it was like, you just free wrote until you found your way to your thesis. And it's not a good writing style, I feel like, in general, to just write until you find something. But, 
you know, it works for me. <laughs> abstract here. <laughs> um, so, yeah. All right. Well, we'll put a pin in that Notre Dame talk. We'll see if we believe it when we score off against Texas A&M next year. Um, let's continue that. talking about college football, though. The college football playoff just in absolute shambles. Um, according to me and Lucas, at least. Wyatt had no problem with the top four. But <laughs> moving on from the top four, too. With the, this is just overall college football when you look at it. Like The new SEC did their schedule release for next year. It's clear that the days of like Georgia or Bama or Texas playing cupcakes all season are definitely gone. Like they're, Georgia and Bama are playing each other next year. They have to play Texas or Oklahoma, um, either of those two. I think are we going to have to get comfortable with the fact that nine and three SEC teams with a tough schedule are more deserving than like an eleven and one Big Twelve or ACC team, or even Notre Dame for the playoffs? Lucas, what are your thoughts on this? And also, like this year, FSU being left out, wherever you want to take it. So I'll start with FSU being left out because. I don't know. I mean, I guess this isn't the most timely news at this point, but it is timely because the playoffs are about to happen, so we can rehash the ridiculousness of everything that happened. And I think to start, it's important to talk about, like, with all this, it's going to matter a lot less with the new playoff format. The borderline between 4 and 5 and 12 and 13 is clearly very, very different. No very deserving teams are going to get left out in the new system. Like, you'll have some debates, and there'll be... You know, SEC bias and what Jared alluded to before, with like a nine and three SEC team or even a Big Ten team getting in over an eleven one ACC. Like that'll happen in the future, but to me, that's less consequential than what happened now, um, because this is a travesty against the sport. <laughs> like I just think this is like the logical culmination of like the ridiculousness and like that this whole sort of selection committee. BS was, like, over the course of the last 10 years. Like, you knew it was bad, and it's never really, really shown its head until now that the whole best teams thing is just... I don't... Like, it's just a ridiculous way to pick a playoff structure. I think Mike Greenberg said it on ESPN. He's like, you turn football into figure skating. Like, not that figure skating is in any way bad, but it's a subjective sport. Like, you have a bunch of people go out there, and they're like, I think they were best. But you have to do that in something like figure skating because there's no inherent point system. Like, there's no inherent winning or losing. You're performing a routine and somebody has to judge whether it was good or bad. Football has a point system, has rules to pick a winner each game. And so when there are rules to pick a winner each game, winning game should matter. And Florida State not winning, winning, un- going undefeated is ridiculous. No matter what Kirk Herbstreet in his, like, paragraph-long ex-premium posts are trying to say to defend his network and their times with the He's SEC. so annoying. His like, takes on college football are so I, annoying. He's a great broadcaster, yeah. but his takes are He's, terrible. <laughs> no, I, if he would just broadcast and never have any opinion on anything, I'd be like, oh, I'm a fan. <laughs> but, <laughs> but unfortunately, we don't live in that world. Um, but so, like, it was bad before when group of five teams were being left out, right? Like, I think... When group of five teams go undefeated, they should have made the four-team playoff when there were fewer than four undefeated Power 5 schools. But at least you can make a logically coherent argument that, like, I disagree with, but that, like, the level of competition they play every week is, like, clearly inferior to a Power 5. But, so that's, like, there's a logical sort of, like, coherence to that, even if I think it's wrong. This is ridiculous. The, like, <laughs> the, you could argue that the ACC was better than the SEC this year. I don't... I, I don't know if I would go that far. Didn't they have a yeah. winning record against the SEC? Yeah, they I'm not, did. I'm not saying that the SEC is, is worse, because I, 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 at my core, I don't believe that. 
But I really don't think you can make like a principled argument that they were better enough that you can let it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I heard that. And so what? Yeah. Okay. That that. Thank you, Aiden. I'll adopt that as my argument then. But like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it shows that like, like this has always been an invitational, and it doesn't matter. And the thing that's incre- like. The quarterback got hurt. That's the only reason they got left out. The fact that Jordan Travis got hurt is the only reason they got left out, and that makes them not one of the best teams. But then, like, why even play the games? Why do anything if you're Florida? The second Jordan Travis tears his ACL, truly, why should Florida State ever walk onto the field after that? Like, they have no incentive to if you're judged based on best, and best can be degraded by the fact that your quarterback got hurt. The Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2017 when their quarterback got hurt. I know it's a different sport, different situation, but, like, imagine if the Eagles had been left out of the playoffs in 2017 because Carson Wentz got hurt. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, completely ridiculous. Stuff like this. Look even at the same sport. In 2014, Ohio State was on their third-string quarterback, so they've gotten left out because they weren't one of the best because they were on their third-string quarterback. I, I mean, and I think this situation would be 100% different if the, the team in question wasn't an SEC team. There's, you cannot convince me otherwise that if it wasn't any other conference team, they would not have gotten in. If it was 12-1, and one, I'll even say Big Ten champion Michigan with the exact same debate. If it was 12-1, and one, Big 12 champion Oklahoma. If it was 12-1, and one, Pac-12 champion Oregon or whoever. Like, just pick any other Power 5 conference. They would not have gotten in over the 13-0. It's the more, mere fact that, like, people view the SEC as so good and so different. But, like, look at Alabama's <coughs> results throughout the year. There's nothing to indicate that they're a substantially better team than Florida State. Looking at it, they needed the most miracle of all miracles to beat <laughs> a 500 Auburn team literally the week before this happened. Mm-hmm. They had a 10-point win, 14-point no, win, 17-3 to over South Florida. I mean, I'm, I'm glad they didn't put them over Texas because that would have been, you know, it yeah. was already ridiculous. But that, like, because they lost to Texas this year. But there's nothing to indicate to me that Alabama is a substantially better football team than Florida State. And even if they were a substantially better football team, who cares? Because they didn't win all their games and Florida State did. And they played substantially similar enough schedules in order to get in. I forgot how angry this all made me until I started talking. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, it's just ridiculous. Like, I mean, it's truly, it's like, why should a Florida State ever walked on the field after Jordan Travis got hurt? They shouldn't. Like, there was no incentive for them at that point to play a game. Yeah. And I feel like it would have been maddening regardless, given the, the fact that Florida State was undefeated. But I think a large part of it is the fact that Bama did not look like a, like, I can understand at least some sort of argument if Bama had looked indestructible, you know, had had one loss to Texas, another playoff team, and then looked like a dominant team. They did not. They didn't. Like, it just, yeah. There still wouldn't be an argument over an undefeated team. But the fact that that happened, that a team was undefeated, and then a one-loss team who looked flawed to say the least, got in is just, yeah. I don't know. Aren't you kind of burying the lead here a little bit about, like, Alabama looked flawed, but, but Florida State didn't? I don't think that Florida State but looked good at undefeated. all. But they were undefeated. Yeah, like but, I mean, like, standing. their schedule is not impressive <laughs> at all. Like, looking up and down <laughs> the schedule is not impressive. And, Lucas, I think the argument that, oh, Ohio State did with a, thir- with a third-string quarterback uh, <laughs> is a bad argument because – Florida State won their game against Louisville 16 to 6. Ohio State won their game against Wisconsin 59 to 0 during that game. 
Cardell Jones threw uh, 70% and three touchdowns. And their backup quarterback here threw 38%, zero touchdowns. Like, it, it's, a, it's, just, it's a dramatic difference between whether or not, oh, well, they just lost their quarterback. We've seen that happen before. When Ohio State was clearly much better. And by the way, the rest of that Ohio State team was also pretty sweet with guys like Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott. So is the Florida State team, though. The Florida State defense has been crazy this year. Exactly. Like, half of them have freaking left because they're going to, like, I've already left for the draft. Like None of them were as good defense. in comparison to the <laughs> Ohio State guys. <laughs> um, them, no way of knowing. I mean, I think LSU. we know that Florida State beat LSU by way more than Alabama did. LSU like, is not just... is not a good litmus test. They're not any good. <laughs> they went, they had the Heisman Trophy winner on their so team. So what? So the team put the Heisman Trophy is not the oh. the team where they go to the award with the best court, with the uh, best record. They don't do it like that. They give it to anybody. They give it to the people. They, they give it to. Any quarterback who had a who had a statistically high season, and by the way, and no offense to Jaden Daniels, this is probably the least compelling Heisman argument we've ever, we've yeah. had all year. So I don't know if I don't know if I hold a lot Since of like RG three probably fair, but but he was good. <laughs> he was good. <laughs> but I'm not saying he was bad, but I mean like yeah, just this is this is the least compelling it's been uh, for for a Heisman race. Sure. Even why, though, if I accept all that, Florida State went undefeated and Alabama didn't. Yeah, yeah. I just I don't, don't think like, undefeated is created equally. I don't think that you could be like, well, they just won all their games. It's not, because, it might not be created but equally, not, but yeah, these are two different they're things. Not <laughs> they're not Alabama's not undefeated. So no, like, but they're not. They also like, don't have three losses. They have one loss against a team that's ranked ahead of them in the college football playoffs. They, don't, they, don't, they have one loss against a number three ranked Texas team. It's not. It's not. It's not the same. It's not like they lost to North Alabama or something like that. Like, yeah. it, when you look at Florida State's resume, there's not a single thing on it that stands out to you. There's no, there's no big win against uh, the team. I don't team. agree. I, I don't think, huh? How did the LSU win not stand out to you week one? They go this and is, schedule. They they go and schedule an SEC team like LSU, like not like some rinky dink like Vanderbilt. They didn't schedule Vanderbilt. They went. Oh, we're gonna play LSU. And they beat them. Like how you can't hold that against them. Come on, how's that not impressive? Right, they went nine LSU and three went, in the vaunted SEC too. LS three went so, nine, or whatever LSU they went nine and three for the rest of the year. We know that nine and three for a college yeah. football team is somewhere in the middle of the pack. I think. For a well, actually, it's fifteen. No, it's or not. whatever LSU is. You know, it's like thirteen. <laughs> no, but I mean, like what? I mean, I think a lot of teams. I think just it's not middle. Of the given pack. process by uh, elimination, a lot of teams go nine and three. You know, I think that, that it happens. It's not like if you don't have to go 500 to be middle of the pack. A 500 football team is a really bad football team. Yes. I don't know. We'd have to do it. So 93 puts them just above, just puts them just above the bad area. I just don't think like they go for Southern Mississippi and Boston College and Clemson is not good. Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Duke, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh, Miami, Florida, uh, North Alabama, and then Florida, which. They didn't look very impressive against Florida or Louis or Louisville, and I just don't see a situation where I can look at them and be like, "Yeah, they're one of the four best teams in the country." But who cares? Because well, that's like, what I it's know, always like, been: the four best teams in the country, and we've always said that's not what they. It's been like that for years. What are we talking about? It's been like that for years. That's the thing, though. So, like moving moving forward, that's where I think if they stick with their proposed system of the top five conference champions, which who knows what they're going to do now that the Pac-12, or top six conference champions, but who knows what they're going to do now that the Pac-12 isn't really a conference anymore. 
But if they stick with some sort of criteria where it's just like, if you're the conference champion and you're in the top six or whatever, you'll get it. You'll get in. Then that kind of solves a lot of the problems. Like to go back to Mike Greenberg, Lucas. I think he said it too that like in the NFL, it doesn't matter if I think if I think that like the Bills are better than the Cowboys right now. The Cowboys, or if I think, let's say, if I thought the Chiefs were better than the Ravens, it doesn't matter. The Ravens have a better record. They're number one seed. They're getting home field advantage sort of thing. And if you do it, so that way, if you do the conference championship, you do have at least one objective criteria mm-hmm. where it's like, if you just meet this criteria, like, you are in for sure. And, like, uh, the conference champions uh, are obviously, like, picked objectively because the conference decides, like, who has the best... Um, Two best records, and then there's all these tiebreakers. It's not like, well, I think Michigan's better than Ohio State, so we're going to put them in or whatever. It's just like tiebreakers go down it or whatever. So that's like all objective, other than the fact that like a group of five team can be like, well, we were the seventh best conference champion or whatever. But like realistically, like we're kind of like we're doing the best they can, I guess, in that system. A power five team wouldn't be left out in this sort of scenario. And then, so you have that objective criteria. And then for the at-large bids, I personally am fine with a little bit more subjectivity and less going off strength of record. Because, like, a team that's, like, goes 11-1 and but didn't win their conference, you can say something to them and, like, well, you didn't didn't achieve the goal that is, like, set out that will guarantee to get you a playoff spot sort of thing. thing. Like, if Florida State's 11-1 and this year, or 12-1 and this year, but there's, like, a team that went out and scheduled, you know, that like went out and scheduled Georgia or they had to play Georgia and they had to play Texas that same year. And like they, they beat both those teams, but let's say they have two losses or three losses. Even I think for like an at large bid, I would be totally fine with them getting the nod over like 11 and one, like Syracuse or whatever, you know, yeah. Aiden shaking. His I head, disagree. Though. Yeah. Well, maybe I'm getting ahead of the, the prompt here. I this is less go, a critique yeah, of go what you said, Jared, than the critique of a twelve team playoff system. I don't think there should ever be a nine and three team playing for the championship or playing as part of the playoffs, in my personal opinion. I think that's ridiculous. I think they've already proven because that nine, they nine and three is not good, right? I mean yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say you just proved why it's like point that nine and three is kind of middle of the pack. No, but, like, from a – we're looking for the best team. I'm not saying from a, like, deserving win perspective or from a, you know, impressive win perspective. You look at SEC teams, Wyatt, and they've all beaten teams (laughs) that are within, you know, ranked 13 to 25 or or a little bit after that. And it's viewed as a good win. And I'm fine with that because it is. But they've already proven that they're not worthy of being the champion. As Mm. far as I'm concerned, if you're 9-3, and you have three losses – how is that po- how is it possible that you deserve another shot to play for a championship or try to make the championship? I think that's ridiculous. I think like the whole point of college football or what I have always liked about it is that it's hard the regular season matters from that perspective. And again, this is a critique mm. of tw- of a 12 team playoff as opposed to something else. This is not a critique of what you said Jared about 9 and 3 versus 11 and 1. I just think that's ridiculous. Yeah, I don't is. think we're going to get a three loss like champion at some point because that can happen and i'm gonna hate it i'm gonna be so <laughs> i think college football is changing enough at that point in time say that again. i think college football is changing enough where it's gonna be it's gonna be a little different where we're gonna see more te- teams kind of even out a little bit more especially with nil and the transfer portal and it's not necessarily going to be that every team 
or that there would be certain teams that are stacked significantly more than the other ones. Like, you know, Ohio State and Georgia and Alabama and Texas are going to be the teams that probably lead the league or lead the country in recruiting. But, I mean, across the board, the gap between four and ten is going to be a lot smaller than it's ever been. And I think that there's going to be a chance where teams have well, – there, there are more complete and good teams across the board rather than just four or five dominant teams, you know, in uh, college football. Yeah, I agree with White on that. And I think you said, Aiden, there's going to be like a three-loss conference champion that's going to get it and it's going to bug you. Not conference that champion. Ha- no, at oh, large. Oh, at oh large. yeah. Okay, they, okay. I was going to say because the conference champion thing doesn't there's bug no me way. At all. So nine and gonna, three. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. That doesn't bug me at all because they've met some sort of objective criterion. I'm fine if there's a nine and three conference champion. However, that worked out. I am mad yeah. at, I mean, at for somebody to win the nine, nine three champion. So for someone to win the national okay. championship at nine and three, a lot would have to happen before for to no to, for it to prove because it's just gonna be Bama. Like it's it. But I mean, Bama, a nine and three a Bama team with team. talented players who has lost close games that should matter, but that won't have mattered in the end. They're gonna get in as a <coughs> 10, 11, 12 seed. Because I think there there are plenty of years where a three loss team will get in, a three loss SEC team I mean, would get in. Yeah. In the in and the case gonna, of a nine and three Bama win, team, they would they not the be the conference champion though. They would have to grind away from seed eight and, yeah. and work their way up. And then and I, I'm going to be mad at and it. And I think that would be fair stupid. if they go out there and they win they all of their the playoff season. games. That's totally What's fair. What's the point of the regular season? To for seeding. Oh, sorry. The okay. the point of the regular season is for seeding. If they went, if they were nine and three, and they were like. Still ranked number one somehow on an on a, a eye test basis, then then that would be stupid. But I mean, if they're that gonna, would be that would be interesting. If they're yeah. gonna <laughs> if, they're, if they're nine and three, and then they go and they get the the seating says that they're somewhere between eight and ten, then so what? Yeah. They have to go out there. And they have to, they have to at level. least play you yeah. know a team yeah. that they maybe have lost to earlier in the year, given that the SEC's influence in, on college football. Yeah. Again, this is a base level personal issue with in college football not having like a or becoming less exclusive in its playoff structure. I understand others view that differently. I'm just unhappy about. Yes, yeah, that's interesting, Aiden, because I used to make that argument when I was defending the four team playoff. Like, we do not need to expand. I was like, well, these other teams have lost two games. We've already proven they're not good enough, sort of thing. But yeah, I guess. And, and, like, so, yeah, there is the two, do you want the regular season? It is kind of what do you want the regular season to be? Do you want to be the regular mm-hmm. season to be opportunities to prove if yeah. you're good enough? Or do you want it to be seeding, like Wyatt just said? Yep. yep. Which, yeah, I, yeah, I don't really know anymore. Both of those are, va- <laughs> are valid. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's a fair point from, from Wyatt about the seeding. Because that's what the NFL is, right? Yeah, that's what the NFL is. I just think moving, moving I just to like, 12 yeah, I like team playoff system is a, is a dramatically different era. When I feel like the four-team playoff system was just a tweak to the two-team playoff system, BCS system mm-hmm. from before, and it's kind of a dog. Yep. Like it was a, it was a slightly grown-up version of the two-team BCS version. But now it's now it's a whole new era of of stuff. So yep. now it strictly is for seeding, and I think that that's an important thing to to recognize. Yep, that's fair. A quick follow-up question: Do you think? Uh, colleges should avoid scheduling tough non-conference games now if they're going to play bigger no. brands, let's say, in the Big Ten and SEC. Um, I think the Big Ten and the SEC don't really have to worry about that. I think just by, you know, proxy, they're, they're going to, like, Ohio State's going to play Michigan. They're going to play Penn State. They'll probably play USC or Oregon at some point or Washington. 
Um, Alabama is going to play LSU and Georgia and Ole Miss and like other talented teams that they play on a regular basis. The ACC may have to work harder on a given year if yep. Clemson and Duke are any good, uh, or Miami never really becomes good. And same with the Big Twelve, who I can't off the top of my head think of any notable team that they're going to have. Um, <laughs> I know, Colorado. I know, that, yeah, Maybe Colorado. There, but even, That's but like... even still, like Colorado going out there and beating Cincinnati and Houston, I'm not going to be like, whoa. They, they're going to have to try a little bit harder. So they might have to go. Colorado might have to go and schedule a Tennessee or, you know, throw um, a Missouri on their schedule or something like that, but, or, or a Penn state. But yeah, I, I think that the big conference teams, they're, they're going to just play a tough schedule regardless. So it's, it's less important, but overall I think it's, it was like high risk, no reward really when it came to the way the playoff system is now and going mm-hmm. forward, I think it's going to be, Medium risk, high reward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I like that take. Nice. We got pretty riled up um, talking about some Sorry. college football, which always <laughs> tends to happen on the lunch bell, guys. But we are going to move on to, if Bart were here, he would call it real football, but NFL football now. Um, <laughs> the Bears. It was like two and a half years old, and I still <laughs> yeah. That's a while ago. But it it still stuck with me. Uh, The Chicago Bears. We're going to talk about the the Chicago Bears. They're projected to get the number one overall pick via the Carolina Panthers this coming NFL draft. Caleb Williams is obviously the hot ticket item coming out of college this year. But quarterback Justin Fields has impressed in his most recent showings. Seems to have found a rhythm as a legitimate NFL starter. Wyatt, do you think the Bears should trade the number one overall pick again or move on from Justin Fields? Uh, it's a super tricky position for the Chicago Bears and for me to basically have to stake a claim between if I think Caleb Williams or Justin Fields are going to be better long term. Um, I'm not necessarily going to say that Caleb Williams isn't going to work out because I do think that he's going to be a really good football player in the NFL. But I am going to make a case that Justin Fields does deserve at least a chance to be a starting quarterback and specifically for the Chicago Bears. Um, I think... You would the Boston Raven or would the Baltimore Ravens trade Lamar Jackson for Caleb Williams? I don't think so right now, and I think that Justin Fields is incredibly hard to evaluate given the circumstances where he at. He does not have a great offensive coordinator. He does not have a great offensive line. They added DJ Moore as a weapon this year, which I do think that has done wonders for him. Um, just having extra talent out there. They do not have a top-flight defense like Lamar Jackson has. And I I think that Justin Fields has all of the similar abilities that Lamar Jackson has that you would want in a franchise quarterback. His skill set is unique. He is a big arm. I believed in him coming out of college from being a big arm downfield passer. He's one of the best athletes at the position, that one that we've ever seen, but but specifically in the current NFL. He and Lamar Jackson – and Josh Allen are probably the three best athletes at the quarterback position. And stat-wise, Lamar Jackson had 2,000-yard rushing seasons um, within his first three years. Uh, uh, and right now, I think, and it's, and it's kind of tough because Justin Fields did miss six games or five games this year. He had, Justin Fields does have an 1,100-yard rushing season uh, in his first three years. Passing-wise, their, their statistics are pretty similar Neither, neither of them are going to jump out on the page to you of like uh, 
big volume 40 yard or 40 touchdown passing passing touchdowns in a year or 5000 yards like a Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen would but given their running ability you can kind of make up for it right now uh, Lamar Jackson has 19 passing touchdowns on a given year on this year um and Justin Fields has 15 with missing some time uh, games wise and i just think that overall you know a bird in a hand is worth more than two in the bush and it's the the bears may have a quarterback who could be a really talented and successful franchise quarterback with the opportunity to now trade the number one overall pick twice, two years in a row, and get like a massive draft haul for it. They could go and they can get a Marvin Harrison Jr. or a Malik Neighbors. They can add a incredibly talented tackle like Joe Oltz uh, onto their team mm-hmm. and then add some other second-round picks around there as well and basically turn this team into like a real contender. Also, more likely than not, if the, if the Bears don't draft Caleb Williams – and they trade it away, or you know, let's just say that they keep the pick and, and it goes on from there. More likely than not, Caleb Williams and Drake May, one of the two will end up in the AFC, if not both of them. And the AFC will be with Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, CJ Stroud, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Aaron Rodgers, and whoever else, and if Will Levis pans out, Anthony Richardson. They would have tons of talented quarterbacks there. And Justin Fields is competing with Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins, Jalen Hurts. And that's probably the list. So you could probably, and and Jared Goff is playing well, but we kind of know what he is. Same with Kirk Cousins. We kind of know what he is. Where Justin Fields, I think, would have a legitimate chance to be the best quarterback in the NFC if given the opportunity to play on a really talented Bears team. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think you do make good points in terms of like you could make a case for it, but I think there's no way they actually do that though. I I got this from I was listening to Colin Coward's show earlier, and he had a guest Albert Breer on that. Not only did like the current GM Ryan Poles not draft Justin Fields, um, but the current like team president, the guy that decides who the GM is, also did not draft Justin Fields. He inherited the coach. And the GM. And I think we're going to do like the whole overthink the number one thing. Like, you know, maybe actually Drake May should be the number one overall pick when it's like it's been Caleb Williams for two years. You know what I mean? Sort of deal. And say that like Caleb Williams is actually bad. But I think that the fact that like they didn't inherit Justin Fields and like they've done the GM, like Ryan Poles has done a pretty good job, I'd say, with like what he, the situation he got. He's done a pretty good job. But the fact that they like inherited that, and then like if you're the GM and you trade the number one overall pick, you're staking your career to Justin Fields, basically. That like Justin Fields is going to pan out. And has he done enough for Ryan Poles to be like, I will stake my career on this guy? I'm not really sure that he has. Yeah, it'll be good because trades or yeah. uh, Fields has some trade value, like you said, Wyatt. And he didn't play himself into the number one overall pick, like we were, like I've talked about before, but. I mean, he yeah. I think I think you out. have to reset and go. His trade value is kind of capped out, though, with them having the num- the number one overall pick. I think that you get a second round pick. You probably don't get a first. Yeah. I think yeah. that them like them being like, well, <clears throat> we could just draft another quarterback makes Justin Fields less valuable to them. Thus, nobody's really going to give anything up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm with you, Jared. 
I don't know. It, it's it's hard because I feel like Justin Fields shows flashes, always shows flashes, and it just hasn't panned out consistently yet. Not that he ha- like hasn't been good this year at times and whatnot, but his stats are still just not, you know, not what you're looking for in a franchise QB, like a top ten guy, right? I I think it's fair why what you said about his situation, about his offensive line, about his weapons, you know. But I think he's I've, he's the twenty second best QB per PFF behind Jake Browning, Derek Carr, Joe Flacco. His pass grade is you know, just above or barely above Tommy DeVito. He's still bottom <laughs> five and getting the ball out. Like his processing is still just hasn't totally caught up. He is such a talented rusher. Um, I just, there aren't consistent stretches. I feel like where he shows that he's ready to be and it's year three, right? Like there's, there's been time. I I don't know if a guy or a, a GM or whatnot can stake their career on that at this point. Really, I just I, I I disagree. I I don't think that he. I think that he has shown enough. I think after week five on now, he's been more he's been consistent enough for me to believe that not only is he going to get better, that he has gotten significantly better as a passing quarterback. And I also and again, this isn't my thing to say that Caleb Williams isn't going to pan out, and so that's why it's not safe mm. to draft him. But I think that the, there is that the I'm just making a case for Justin Fields. He is not a he, – he will be going into his fourth year, so you would get the fourth year and the fifth year option mm-hmm. with him. He's not like yep. at the end of his fifth year options. So the choices are either you have to reset your, your rookie scale or re-sign him to a huge contract. You would have with plenty of time. Yeah, yeah. you have plenty <laughs> of time to go out there and yep. be like, let's build the team. We'll have two years, basically three years from the last year um, with all their, all their cap space. Well, the three years, but two more years from here on out to be able to really try to put a team around Justin Fields and just, I mean, just build a talented team in general. I mean, heck, the Cleveland Browns don't have a really good quarterback, although um, Joe Flacco is kind of playing. He's, he's, I don't know, he's <laughs> he has nothing to lose, so he's just like, why don't I just rip it into triple coverage? Um, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like at the like end of the day, what's gonna, ha- yeah, what's gonna happen? Well, there? What's yeah, gonna no, happen? Yeah, no, might as well. He's going to hurt his legacy. He's just going out there. He, he, he doesn't have to worry about his legacy. But like, like Justin Fields, <laughs> they they could. You, I could be totally convinced that with sixty eight million dollars in cap space next year, they can go out there and they could be like, let's go try to be the Cleveland Browns, basically, and let's just build a sweet roster and then hope Justin Fields is the quarterback for it. Because at the end of the day, the Cleveland Browns don't have a talented quarterback at any step of the way with Deshaun Watson to, um, I mean, the trade of Josh Dobbs to, to Joe Flacco or whoever it is over there. And they're still in the playoff hunt. People still think they're one of the 12 best teams in the league. And I, and I, I guarantee you, if the Browns had Justin Fields today, they'd probably be the AFC favorite. Or the second favor. I give respect to the Baltimore Ravens, but I th- I think that they'd be up there. I think that I think people would put that much uh, respect on that team then. Dang. And I think and I, yeah. and I just think that the Bears have sixty eight million dollars of cap space. They probably get two or three first round picks for trading number one overall pick. If they don't make the playoffs, they'll have the number seven pick or whatever they're at right now yep. of their own. And would have plenty of room to navigate all the way throughout the draft boards. I mean, everybody saluted, and it's different, but everybody saluted the Eagles for going out there and basically like owning the draft board by by having all these first round picks that they got from the Saints being um, idiots. And it's just like, <laughs> like the Bears have can do the exact same thing. 
Any team with two first-round picks in a given year can do can own the draft board. They have full control over it. They can get whoever they want, whenever they want. And if they, they, they don't have to spend it on a quarterback, we know cost a premium anyway, then they're, then they're set, I think. Mm. Do you have any, or this is kind of a out there idea, but my, my view is that quarter, or a team should just kind of accumulate quarterbacks or take as many quarterbacks as they think are valuable, like will potentially work out. And so I've thought from the Bears' perspective, they could potentially trade their number one pick, right? And then take a, I don't know, take a Jaden Daniel, like trade back to five or six or something like that. Get Jaden Daniels or trade back even farther. Get a Penix or a Bonex. You could keep Justin Fields and you could potentially have them compete. I feel like no one's reacting to this. This is a, this is potentially a bad <laughs> idea. <laughs> I just feel like quarterbacks are such a crapshoot that like, I don't think Justin Fields is necessarily the guy. You know, like in December, he's been 53% completion percentage. I have three touchdowns, three interceptions, 5.6 yards per pass attempt. People said he's been better the second half of the season, and that just doesn't kind of show up in the numbers. I'm just not convinced. I'm not convinced that he's bad either. But like Mm -hmm. you could potentially bring in a non-Caleb Williams, or I guess Drake May, but I don't really care for Drake May, um, to compete with him. And have a middle ground there. That is another option if you were looking for one. <laughs> yeah, but again, like this is this is the Lamar Jackson comparison. In Lamar Jackson's last five games, he's at fifty nine point four percent completion percentage. And Justin Fields' last five games, he's at sixty percent completion percentage. Lamar Jackson has five more touchdowns. I'll give him that. But um, overall, like they're they're very similar. Eleven hundred yards to nine hundred and forty five yards uh, average. Lamar Jackson takes the edge at seven versus Lamar, uh, Justin Fields at six. But, I mean, like, mm-hmm. the numbers are I don't think are ever going to pop out from a passing perspective at as, like, mm-hmm. a 5,000-yard passer on a given year. But I, mm-hmm. I just think that any any team, whether Ryan Poles keeps Justin Fields or he goes for Caleb Williams, his job is on the line based on the success of the quarterback. So if he gets Caleb Williams and this team does not get any better, Caleb Williams will fail, and I, and then Ryan Poles will lose his job. I think. I mean, I just, I think that if I know that DJ Moore is a sweet player, but if they don't, if they miss on their offensive line forever, if they don't improve that defense, mm-hmm. if they don't add another weapon on there, if yep. they don't add any extra running back talent, if they don't get the next head coaching right, which I think that they're going to move on from their head coach, then it's all going to fail anyway, and Ryan Poles will lose his job. So I just think that when you know that Justin Fields is improving or at least decent. Why not just be like I'm just gonna add as much talent as possible, and it's gonna keep it. It's gonna be much better to keep his job. I I think. Yeah. And the only time it looks bad is if, and this is this is not necessarily a homer take, but hear me out. I think if the <laughs> Giants got Caleb Williams and Brian Dayball was the head coach, I think Caleb Williams will explode. I think he'll be fantastic, <laughs> and I think I think that if if, if the Bears watch. Brian Daywall coach Caleb Williams, and they go, like, we could have had that, which is delusional because I don't think that they could have a coach who could do that. Um, then they'd probably <laughs> be really upset about keeping Justin Fields. But I think yep. the magic crystal ball that we'll never be able to see what, what what Caleb Williams looks like under this team and Justin Fields would look like under the same team, we'll never be able to compare the two in this very specific circumstance. So it's always going to be – it's going to be tough. But if, if Justin Fields – if, if if 
this team doesn't add any talent whatsoever, or the, if Ryan Poles is just not a good mm-hmm. GM in general, he's going to lose his job. Yeah. It's not just Justin yeah. Fields or Caleb Williams. It's everything else yeah. that he has to do to actually build a contender of a roster. Yeah. Would you consider just trading back and drafting, not trading far back, and drafting Marvin Harrison to give him – yeah, I, I know absolutely. the Bears need offensive line help. But yeah. You could get Joe Alden, yeah, they could whatever do. the Bears' original yeah. pick is, okay, and, which is like and 10 back to three to get mm-hmm. Marvin Harrison or something like that. So yeah, I, I'm sure. not necessarily opposed to that. But I think, you know. yeah, I, I think, again, I think he, here's, I, guess, I suppose here would be the pitch because the, the, the Giants would kind of have to move around a little bit. But I, I really do think yep. that the Giants kind of should be in consideration here because I do think that they could offer a good package. I think that yep. they could go with. The Giants could somehow move up. They'd be pick three or whatever, depending on how the Patriots finish the year. They could go between – we'll trade two first-round picks, Saquon Barkley, and then the Bears can go, well, Fields, Barkley, DJ Moore, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Joe Alt all in the next year. And I think that that team would be able to win. Yeah. You know? And then we have tons of cash. I space. could buy that. Yeah. Yeah. I could buy it. Now, if the Giants were at eight, it's it's a little different because you're not going to get Marvin Harrison Jr. there. But I think that depending on how things move around or if they want to be able to move up, if the, if the Bears themselves want to move back up to three. But I think I think you could do that. I think even if you took out Marvin Harrison Jr. and you replaced it with Malik Neighbors, I think that would still be a, a fantastic group. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's fair. Wheeling and dealing over here. Um but we're going to finish off the episode just with a little bit of news we missed. Um, the big news today, as we're recording, is that Russell Wilson will ride the bench for the last two games. That's going to be the ride that he's on for the last two games. I saw My thought is this, is I saw a comment from somebody like on Twitter or something. that like, sure, Russell Wilson is weird, but he's like also won like Man of the Year award. Like He's clearly a good dude, and it's... It's kind of weird and sad that people are delighting so much in his downfall when he's like, he's not a bad guy. He's weird, but he's not a bad guy or anything. Yeah. He's never thrown his teammates under the bus. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think that's exactly what happens, though. Is like a, a quarterback. Start, like, you know, a quarterback is really playing poorly when they start showing pictures of his family, and they're like, "This is who you're picking on." And it's like, well, you know, like he still is like a public figure, and I think that that's an important thing. He's a good dude. I, I don't think anybody thinks that he's a bad dude. I'm not. When I come on here and I talk and I talk about him, I'm not like there's not like buried in there that I think he's a bad father or anything like that. I just think that he's, <laughs> <laughs> I just think that he's like super self involved. <laughs> <And I, laughs> you know, like that to be the next quote. I mean, like, I don't, like <laughs> I'm not saying Russell Wilson's a bad. Like, I'm not I'm not saying that like he's a bad father or something or like that he's oh, like that he's like not a good dude. I just think that he's super self involved and I think that he believes he's better than he actually is. And he acts like it. It's it's so obvious when you look at him. He acts like it. He clearly rubs people the wrong way. People in Seattle yeah. don't like him anymore. You've seen teams blow up on him in um, in Denver now. Sean Payton's grilling him on the sideline. People are like, I've never seen a coach do that to a grown man before. And like people, people clearly he rubs people the wrong way. And I I think that that's obvious. And I don't think that we could like be like, well, you know. He he shows up to all of his kids' basketball games, and then you're like, oh, okay, well, never mind. maybe <laughs> oh he should stay. Maybe they should pay him 120 million dollars. You know, <laughs> well, they're gonna cut. Uh, I, they're gonna cut him. Oh, right? Like I think yeah. that's been widely yeah, reported. And he's gonna have yeah. an 80 million dollar cap. Which, honestly, 
but, but crazy. Like, yeah. Like, what do we think about this, though, from a, like, actual move perspective? They're just doing I this to make sure that he doesn't get injured, right? Even though they're still in the yeah. playoff race, which I... I don't. <laughs> no, no, this is not. crazy they're, to me. Really. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they're not really. I, yeah, I also think, really <laughs> but it's just. I think that they kind of have a free go. Know. So when you look at the rest of the AFC or the, their division yeah. specifically, the Raiders just fired their head coach. They don't have a starting quarterback yeah. going forward. The Chargers just fired their head coach. Yeah. They have a really terrible. Sorry, that's the next news we missed. Um, the Chargers just fired their head coach. They have a really terrible yeah. roster right now when it comes to their all caps but space. Like the Broncos, yeah. like they could still compete for second place with with cutting Russell Wilson, you know. And, no, and like honestly, none of them are in, but, in are in a position to beat the Chiefs. Yeah. So like yeah. you're not really you're not like necessarily in purgatory and being set back for five years because the rest of your division is so good. Like everyone stinks, mm-hmm. you know. Like if I think that like if. The Jaguars would have cut Trevor Lawrence today, right? They would be in purgatory because C.J. Stroud seems to be really good. Anthony Richardson will might be really good, and Will Levis might be really good, and they could be hard stuck on the bottom of the division just via, yeah. you know, comparison. Where the Broncos may not; they may be right yeah. back in there because nobody else may get better either. Yeah, I just feel like this would be a hard move to sell to your team. Not the cutting after the season, but benching. Russ, Russ instead of, you know, in favor of Jared Stidham. I mean, I mean, Russ isn't like great these days, but he's fine, right? Like, there's yeah, no way that... Like, or I just don't think up that Jared team. Stidham is going to be, like... No. Give them a better chance to win. So I feel like that just can't be good for... If I were a Bronco, if I remember if the Denver Broncos, I would not be happy about the benching. I mean, yeah. what are the chances that Russ gets injured in the last two games? He's injured in practice. He does. I mean, that's fair. You know, yeah. they're going to have him sit, sitting on the sideline. Yeah, yeah, exactly, at practice. But That's what they did with Derek Carr. They were like, don't come to the facility, right? Didn't they do that last yeah, year? Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. They were literally <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That was bold. I, anyway. The whole Sean Payton yelling at Russell Wilson thing, I feel like that was so overblown. Like, coaches yell at players all the time. So what was so All the time, yeah. yeah. What was so different about that it, one? It fits a narrative. Russell Wilson's yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Like, I don't yeah, think so Russell Wilson is 30-something <laughs> years old. That's why. He's 35 years yeah, old. So a lot so of NFL they players. Yell at yeah, they don't yell at they, the time. They, Tom Brady and freaking, what's his name, Josh McDaniel yell at each other all the time. They would go they back and forth. Patriots. They would go back and forth with each other. But Russell Wilson just stood there and took it. You yell at college kids like that. Because he's a good dude. Kids like that. Why, he's, he's a supposed good father. to punch Sean Payton in the face. That's what a real man would do. There's healthy competition where they can go back and forth. And then there's braiding. That's braiding category. Also, Sean Payton has a crazy ego, and I think that that's that, that is might also blow up. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you alluded to it, Wyatt. That Brandon Staley uh, was in the Chargers parted ways. We could say that way. Um, <laughs> any other thoughts on that? I I think the plan is simple: is you just cut everybody um, because. I, I, <laughs> I saw somebody. Oh no! It was Colin. It was Colin Cowherd. We. I, I know we talk about him a lot. <laughs> he's everywhere. But he just like he just he's always he's just on the media. He's the biggest face in the media right now. He was like, I think the GM should have stayed. He's been there for ten years. They they are going to be forty five million dollars over the cap next year. He's hired several um, head coaches, and I, I'm not fully convinced the Chargers would have gotten Justin Herbert if they had swapped picks with the Dolphins. If the Dolphins didn't mm. draft to a first, then would they have even lucked into 
Like, would, would they even have lucked into Justin Herbert if, if there was the other way around? I don't think that necessarily it was like they had the one big pick, but was that like elite scouting by any chance? Because the rest of their team is any, any good. Their, their first-round draft pick, Quentin Johnson, looks like a complete bust so far. And, <laughs> like, they go out and they spend all this money on the defensive side of the ball, and they have the league's worst defense. They had a defensive head coach with the league's worst defense. They traded for J.C. Jackson, or they acquired J.C. Jackson, and then traded him away to the team that he was on before. And they have all of this like dead cap, you know, all that stuff. And it's like, why? Why should he stay? Why should he stay to fix this? Because he, he clearly is not a solution. He doesn't. He doesn't have any solutions in in his sleeve, whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> but you just cut everybody else. Yeah. Khalil Mack, I'm sorry, you're cut. Joey Bosa, I'm sorry, you're cut. Keenan, uh, yeah, Keenan Allen, you're cut. Mike Williams, you're cut. Oh, Keenan Allen. What? You got to trade. Can you trade, not trade them? <laughs> no. I mean, I th- their cap hit is so high. Who's taking it on? Okay. They're all like $35 million on a cap hit, you know, where it's like. Yeah, that's fair. It, 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 it's too much to ask another team to take it on. And they might be able to like, like it happens in the NBA. I don't think it would happen in football where you cut somebody and then like you just resign them again. I don't think <laughs> that like Keenan Allen yeah. would just like come back. But. Like that's a player that I would keep on like a way cheaper deal, but not for his um, cap hit. Mm. Yeah, Lucas, you want to take your? I don't know if this is a victory lap, but I feel like you've never liked Justin Herbert. Yeah. I'm not saying that this is Justin Herbert's fault per se, but one could argue that you know, I don't know. Yeah, You'd I mean, expect more. <laughs> Sure. I'm ex- I I I guess I'll anticipate how to see how he does with another coach because yeah. I've always been a hater, but you remove what might have been the most important variable now in the coaching and yeah. things could change very quickly. So come back to me in twenty twenty five. See takes over, how things go. We'll check back. And then I'll take my victory lap. I think I will not be premature (laughs) if Justin Field or if Justin Herbert turns into, you know. Yeah, Brandon Staley was very clearly not a good coach. And so yeah, yeah, obviously. Jared, by the way, Khalil Mack has a $38 million cap hit. Joey Bosa has a $36 million cap hit. Mike Williams has a $32 million cap hit. And Keenan Allen has a $34 million cap hit. How are they paying like anybody yeah. else on this that team? That's like, crazy because, because yeah. well, you know, you get a little help when you send a quarterback and you kind of like can fudge his numbers where his cap hit is way lower. But Derwin James has also has a $19 million cap hit. I'm cutting him. Um, yeah, and just... Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, th- th- it drops off dramatically from there. Everyone else is somewhere between the three to five million dollar cap hit range. But yeah, that's evident. Well, yeah, anyway, they're paying like from the seven players ninety yeah. percent of their cap. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, God. well, a hundred and ten. Moving on to our over um, <laughs> NBA news: the Detroit Pistons now own the longest. In season losing streak ever in the NBA. At um, are they at twenty seven straight? No, they are going. They are currently going for the longest losing streak period, like across seasons, which the process Sixers have, like the twenty thirteen fourteen Sixers or something like that. Lucas, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, and they play so the going Celtics for that record. tomorrow. So. <laughs> yeah, I got good luck. That <laughs> that seems rough. <laughs> What's crazy about the Pistons, though, is that like with 
the Sixers at that period were cle- were clearly trying to lose. Yep. The Pistons are not trying to yep. lose. They're just <laughs> really, really bad. I know. Mm-hmm. They specifically hired a coach like Monty Williams yeah. to win. Like you uh-huh. know, not that they were going to be a great team this year, but to win in the near future. Yeah, it's rough. And the worst, the worst part is they're obviously not good as is, but teams are going to be playing so hard to make sure they're not the team that loses <laughs> to the Pistons. Exactly. They're like they're going to get yep. everybody's best effort, like like the, <laughs> like the Warriors <laughs> from from years ago. You know, like people want people or you know like when when the Cavs came out and played with LeBron James, it was like we're going to go out there and we're going to give them our best effort, and nobody yep. wants to be the team that loses to the Pistons. <laughs> Oh my gosh! It could be two and eighty. Um, and our lot, what? It could be two and eighty. It's they're on pace for five and seventy-seven, <laughs> but like it, it could be. They won. They were they were two and one at one point. I think yeah. they were. Right. <laughs> I, no, I I can't tell you where I saw this, but this tweet has been ingrained in my mind for like a couple months. Somebody said when they were like two and five or two and six. Somebody's like, you know, I I don't know why this came up on my Twitter feed, but it was like, um, somebody said. People need to realize that if the Pistons were at full strength right now, because they had a couple injuries to start the season or whatever, yep. they would be a 500 team. And I can't think of a more like aged-like milk <laughs> that I've seen in my entire life. But, Heike, I've looked at the roster before and it's, been like, how is this the worst? I don't know. Like, Kate yeah. isn't that bad. Kate dropped 41. Ivey, yeah, I don't know. Apparently, well, if you look at the bench... The exactly, bench, it's yeah. like all time bad plus minus numbers. Yeah. Like <laughs> Marcus Sasser's plus minus every night is like negative twenty on average. Like they, uh, <laughs> that might be an exaggeration, but it's it's yeah, the, the yeah. bench is all time bad is what oh kills them. Oh my god! <laughs> I think playing in Detroit too. There's just like the Midwest. The Midwest NBA teams just have just struggle. I think they have to be exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Final wholesome news, the Duke's Mayo Bowl, Duke Mayo's Bowl, excuse me, happened today. West Virginia beat North Carolina, and West Virginia's coach was dunked in mayonnaise and did not look happy. The ESPN reporter got some fries and literally, like, dipped his fries in the mayonnaise that was on the coach. The coach did not that's look That's gross, I'm all. sorry. I would not, why would you do that? Yeah, that's kind of gross. <laughs> <laughs> no for the TV. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, the reason why I think it's gross is because it's just straight mayo and not like some kind of aioli. You know, like yeah. it's yeah. like a chipotle. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, aioli or something like that, maybe. But <laughs> yeah. Wait. Also, can I add a last news we missed before we conclude? The fantasy football championship uh, is this mm. week in our league. That's gonna I do it for this episode. Um. We'll see if I will be back to back champion uh, with a six and eight record uh, going into the title game, but somehow with a chance to win a back to back title or all year dominant Jared will will take it home. That's why I hate the expanded playoffs. <laughs> yeah, not me like squeaking in We're in the last some rules with next year. We're doing a home field advantage exactly. and everything, man. Yeah, Commissioner We're gonna, Wild. We're gonna some points. <laughs> <laughs> just watch i have a whole post prepared in our podcast group chat it's got there's a there's a nine-year-long saga prepared if I <laughs> what okay do it for the flyover division 
right. That'll do it for this episode of the Lunchbell Guys podcast. If you like anything you heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show as well as follow us on all of our socials um, at lunchbellguys underscore. We appreciate you guys for listening, and we'll see you guys all later. <laughs> <laughs>